So I want to talk a moment about Optio, who's our sponsor for the podcast. Optio helps Google ad managers automate time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on high-level strategy and creative work. Optio analyzes your Google ads performance and suggests new ways you can optimize the account. It helps you stay on top of bids, budgets, keyword management, and ad testing, and it also sends you email alerts if there are any sudden changes in your cost, impressions, clicks, and conversions, all of which will help you a ton. Right now, Optio is offering a special six-week trial for all of you, our listeners. Just go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash S-E-J to get started. Thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Search Engine Journal Show. I'm your host, Brent Satoris, and today we're joined by Nava Hopkins, who is the Services Innovation Strategist at WordStream and who is an expert about everything that has to do with PPC. Today, specifically, we're talking about keyword theory, and I think you're going to love this show. Hello, Nava. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to chat with SEJ. Uh, absolutely, it's always fun to chat with you. Uh, I've been—I've uh, actually enjoyed watching your career grow and and, uh, and always catching your sessions and reading your articles. So uh, it's really—it's really a pleasure to have you on the show. I, I remember uh, the first conversation we had was uh, talking about health drinks uh, and like what recipes were, were perfect for smoothies. And like I knew that like, all right, profit, <laughs> health, like it's. it's Match me in heaven. Exactly, right? Uh, and I still do that. I actually just had a long conversation about smoothies. I'm now on some mushroom stuff called mud water. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm focused. It's like a six different mushrooms and a couple other things. And it's, it's really uh, like supposed to be like an organic Adderall. Um, so. Interesting. Yeah, like, so. How, how hard is it to get a hold of? Uh, not. They have a website like M-U-D-W-T-R, uh, I think, slash W-T-R and mud water. So that's the newest thing I'm trying. And I, I've tried it a couple of times. It's not the, the tastiest thing in the world, but it's definitely good. Fair enough. So uh, I, I'm very interested in this topic that we're going to talk about today and why I wanted to bring you on is I typically talk a lot about social media. I, t- I talk a bit about search, but one of the areas that I haven't really spent a lot of time talking about was PPC, paid search in general. Um, and and I, I, I wanted to cover that topic uh, on a couple different shows. And so uh, I thought about who, who would I really want to, to speak about PPC? And right off the bat, you came to mind and specifically um, around some of the writings and some of the discussions you've had around keyword theory. And I thought thought one of the first things that people really bump into when it comes to, you know, um, setting up campaigns um, is, is keyword choice, right? But I think a lot of times we just brush past that uh, rather quickly. Um, and we really don't think about, like, how do we gather those keywords? How do we, you know, focus which ones are the right ones for us? And how do we get the, the complete list that we need? Um, and especially when it comes to, like, thinking about what we actually expect to happen as far as, like, a consumer cycle. Um, and so I, I wanted to ask you, you know, to kind of lead us in on this conversation about keyword theory, but just what do you consider it to be? How do you approach it? What's the overarching kind of definition of keyword theory when it comes to paid? Sure. So keyword theory is kind of the staple of of how I look at all of um, paid search, which is 
what are the keyword concepts um, that are going to give you the best access to your desired market at the most cost-effective and scale-oriented price? Um, now, part of that is the actual keyword concepts you go after. So, for example, going after attorney versus lawyer. Um, but the other part of it is also what match types you select. Um, and uh, as um, SEJ has done a great job of reporting. There have been a number of changes in how the match types function. And so I consider that it's keyword theory, not just looking at the keyword concepts, but at what match type, um, broad, mod broad, phrase, exact, um, you have those keyword concepts on. Because how you match those keywords, what's uh, effectively when you tell Google to stop trying to match your keyword to a query, uh, can have a really big impact on a whether the queries uh, that you're showing up for are relevant to you, are you exposed to auction prices that are not quite profitable? Um, are you being put into auctions because you're on a really restrictive match type uh, that are cost prohibitive uh, to you and your business? So there's a number of things that go into keyword theory. Um, I would say that if you had to distill it down to just one general idea, though, it's how are your people searching um, and how can you get access to them? So one of the things right off the bat when it comes to, you know, all of this is finding the keywords you want to add, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, that's a whole area that we could dive into. And I kind of want to brush past it. But I do want to ask one question of you about that specific aspect is what do you think about the, you know, especially like in AdWords and a lot of these places, they do recommended phrases, right? Like here's a, a pocket of, of phrases that, you know, you might want to add and you can kind of quickly put together a list of keywords. Do you utilize those tools or do you think third party tools do a better job of that? So I like using every tool possible because even um, garbage can be used for scrap for scrap in, into into beautiful things. Mm -hmm. um, and this is not to say that the, the keyword planner is garbage, um, but what it is to say is that the keywords that are going to be suggested are all going to be on what's called broad match. So. I actually sometimes love the ideas that come out of um, the keyword planner. They can be exactly right, but because they're added on broad match, you don't actually guarantee that you're getting that specific idea. You're getting a synonym, you're getting an implied word. Only one word has to be there. Um, my favorite way of doing keyword research, ironically enough, is actually doing um, either DSA or dynamic search ads where I'm targeting bits of the site. Um, so for the SEOs in the audience, this is where you guys get to shine because uh, those sites are beautifully SEO. Google, Google can easily crawl them. Um, and when you run that DSA campaign, you're actually given back a list of actual things people searched in relation to uh, your site, your service. Um, I also love doing simple uh, two-word or three-word long strings of keyword concepts uh, that I know will teach me how people are searching rather than bidding on everything at once. So it's not that those tools aren't useful. It's just that it's very tempting to have a whole bunch of keywords dumped in prematurely and then have a really mess of a time and a, and a very time-intensive period of cleaning it up. So it's, it's again, like they, they can be good. You just have to be really mindful that they're being suggested um, on broad, so you'd have to actually change the match type. Um, it's worth noting uh, WordStream, uh, so the company I work for, uh, we actually make you manually choose your match type, so you're not auto-opted into broad. Oh, um, but, yeah, um, but the other thing that, that's, that's useful um, when, when you're thinking about um, different keyword planners, uh, there's plugins. Uh, one of my favorites, actually, um, is Keywords Everywhere that will show you what is the 
uh, foreshadowed uh, or forecasted rather uh, auction price for a given uh, query. Um, and then what are related keywords? So don't uh, block yourself from using anything. Use everything in your arsenal. Just be mindful that when you use a keyword planner from a native interface, you will be, if you don't adjust the match type yourself, you will be opting into the broadest interpretation of that keyword possible. Which is oftentimes a lot of the way that people lose most of their initial budget and how they kind of start to feel like this isn't working for me because all of a sudden they've just spent 90% of their budget in three words that didn't really effectively work for them. You got it. And they bid against themselves. So you end up having one that was great and then the others just cry because they got no attention. So how does this work into like variations of the terms, right? So using like close variance and stuff like that. Uh, how, how, what it, for, first off, what is close variance? Um, how, how would that be defined to people who are listening? And where is the benefit in utilizing that, that strategy of, in all this? Sure. So close variants uh, are variants. Uh, so uh, singular, plural, slight misspellings, abbreviations, um, angered, so on and so forth. Uh, one word being turned into two words, two words being turned into one word. Uh, that Google will make a logical leap. Microsoft or, or Bing Ads will make a logical leap uh, and say, say for example, you're looking at teeth whitening. You could come up for tooth whitener um, for the same uh, keyword. Now, the strategy that you choose to, to leverage for close variance is either to throw your hands up in the air and say, I'm going to have a negative for every single one of these ideas. Um, so active keywords have close variants, uh, negatives don't. Uh, so if you're going to try to keep your variants and actually bid accordingly, you need to have every other variant as a negative in the ad group. Um, or in the campaign, why that can be a problem. There's actually a limit of how many negatives you can have in a given campaign. It's it's currently 10,000. Maybe they'll change it. I don't know. Um, there's also a, a bunch of really useful scripts out there. I know uh, Fred Valleys has a, a really good script um, that helps you with those four points of, of variations. Um, but the other strategy, and this is kind of where I fall, um, and I find that it's a lot more accessible and actually a, a much more empowering way to run accounts is that rather than bidding on every single idea, you pick the variant that is the most cost effective for you and is the most predisposed to drive transactional traffic. Now, what do I mean by transactional? Um, I define search result pages or SERPs as either being research oriented or transactional. A research oriented SERP will favor mostly organic. Um, a transactional oriented SERP will favor mostly paid. And so if you see that a particular way of searching by and large, and it could even be the misspelling of the keyword, uh, is how you're getting the majority of your traffic, bid on that and pause the others. Because odds are you're still going to get those other keyword concepts. Um, they're, they're still going to be eligible to serve. And you can check uh, for yourself in the search terms report. Um, if you pull in the column of matched by um, and the target keyword, you can see what keywords resulted in what close variants. Um, you also can choose, if, if you so desire, uh, to say, hey, I had ad groups broken out for things like attorney and lawyer. Um, maybe based off of Google Trends and I see that search volume is higher um, in this region versus this region, I'm going to go for the thing that has more volume, even if it's more expensive, because I know I need to win. Um, and it's worth noting that 
by the new rules of closed variance, which is mildly scary for some of us uh, legacy PPCers, um, attorney and lawyer are now the same thing um, on every match type, which it definitely did not used to be the case. So the panic that comes from closed variance and, the, and kind of the doubt around how to act is that keyword theory for a really long time had the same set of rules of engagement. The match types and how they functioned while the most difficult part of paid search, uh, because it just it's, it's a new way of thinking, like you have to get used to thinking of the match types in that way, the rules didn't change. So it was very comfortable, very easy to work in a specific way. Close variance um, and the implied words that, that now come with the different match types, that's, that's shaking it up a bit. And so the structures that used to work really nicely maybe no longer are as effective. Do you feel like it's shaking up in a way that it's you can work around still, or is it shaking up in a way where a certain low-hanging fruit might just be going away? Uh, it's absolutely still doable. You just have to be okay taking a step back and saying, wow, maybe that structure that I was using three, five years ago no longer works. Um, my favorite um, case of this is SCACs, our single keyword ad groups. Um, single keyword ad groups used to be the quintessential way to not only get a really good quality score, but also to effectively handpick what auction price you are going to invest in for a given bit of creative. Um, the problem is SCAGs require you in today's world to have so many negatives that the odds of you perfectly protecting your SCAG structure um, so that there isn't key, uh, keyword duplication, there isn't budget misallocation um, and budget shortages uh, gets compromised. So there's this, this new idea um, of stags or single theme ad groups. Um, and these are, are really a way to bypass the close variant issues where, for example, say you were to have an ad group of lawyers near me, uh, best lawyer uh, near me, uh, lawyers taking clients as, and you have each of those keywords as an ad group. In today's world, those would be one ad group. And you would have creative talking about the, the, the lawyer near you or, or, or something like that. Um, and I know uh, we, we may or may not have to have time to, to chat about it. We were, we were talking before around audiences, but that's, that's another way to kind of protect your variant and, and protect the intent. Um, well, well, let's go ahead and go into that because that, that, that ties really well into here that essentially if this is sounding extremely scary to a lot of people, audiences is really, you know, kind of the other side of this and it's where it's making a, a lot of this entire process more effective by really using, you know, what Facebook started, you know, with psychographic targeting and a lot of their kind of audiences and their, um, you know, their systems have kind of set the standard for really focusing on types of people instead of keywords that people would use. And, and that's essentially, is that a kind of a decent explanation of what audiences is or how would you define like audiences? So audiences are targeting buckets. Um, I look at audiences much like I look at device targeting, location targeting, time targeting. It's it's telling Google where to put your money or where not to put your money. It's telling Microsoft where to put your money or where not to put your money. So traditional audiences fall a lot in, into that bucket of retargeting, uh, where someone's been to your site, someone's given the email, um, and you're following up with them. Uh, audiences in, in today's world actually are, are, are really interesting. There's the in-market audiences, so people in-market for a particular service uh, or product. 
Um, there's custom affinity audiences, uh, so audiences where, where folks are explicitly showing interest in a given thing. Um, and so where this is particularly powerful in the B2B space, uh, where you not only have to contend with variants, um, you also have to contend with the fact that that really broad way of searching for your product or service, um, say, for example, um, moving companies, moving companies could be talking about a company looking to move a block down the street. It could also be looking at uh, freight shipping uh, hundreds of servers across the country mm-hmm. uh, or, or uh, across the globe. So when you have an audience that you can exclude, say, for example, someone's in market for buying a house and you exclude those, you've now protected your B2B investment. Um, really fun fact, actually, about Microsoft. Microsoft layers now that um, through their acquisition of LinkedIn, uh you can actually target people at specific companies who have specific jobs. Um, granted, it's in beta, so it's it, they have some some kinks to work out. Um, but what's really exciting about um, that that LinkedIn targeting piece uh, is that when we invest our marketing budget, our marketing dollars, we now can tell Google, I not only want you to think about people who are searching in this given way, I want you to take into consideration their past behaviors. So that you can, when you effectively pre-qualify uh, people to get access to your budget, you know that it's it's worth the juice is worth the squeeze, um, if you if you will. Well, I really like that. I really I really like the fact that they they're utilizing the the LinkedIn data because I mean, really, when you look at you know utilizing companies as a as a target, you either had an email list from that company. Um, or some way to kind of, you know, target individuals in that way, or you had people who would say like it, or, or they, you know, had, you know, it was really hard to kind of define who was actually working there versus just liking something or engaging with something. And so it seems really effective. And one of the ways that, you know, I think a lot of people look at it is um, if you know somebody that works at this company, then you know, they're in, you, it kind of, it almost allows you to, to, to focus in on what you know is going to be, you know, who you know is going to be interested in your product or what you're trying to sell your service and so forth. Yep. Uh, and this, this kind of goes to also how people search in different parts of the country as well. Um, so when, when folks target nationally, um, there's, there's a group of people that will search in a given way because of one part of the country versus another but then there's also taking into account their age, their interests, um, what their, their prior experiences are. So we, we live in actually in a really exciting world where we no longer have to be effectively shackled uh, to granular keyword theory, where every little detail had to be segmented and micromanaged. We now live in a world where we can name the, the things that are important to us, um, pick them based off of how profitable they are to our business, not because we feel like we have to have them for quality score purposes. Um, and and then tell Google or Microsoft, hey, by the way, put a bit of adjustment for or against this group or ex- outright exclude this group. I, I, I don't want you putting any of my budget there. Um, one qualifier on audiences, um, and I'm, I'm sure... Uh, well, uh, for those of you listening, uh, you're going to get to uh, also hear from Valleys of, of Optimizer um, when he, he's going to walk you through kind of things that, that do and don't work. Um, sometimes when you turn on different bidding strategies, you, you can't actually apply certain audiences. Um, so just be, be mindful of that. 
Um, but when you're doing, say, manual bidding, like if you're still a manual bidder, um, absolutely part of that equation is looking at what different uh, keyword concepts do to auction price. So SMB or small and medium-sized business um, tends to jack up the price for whatever reason. Um, so too might certain audiences. Um, and you just want to be mindful of that. Very, very interesting. Um, it kind of also leads back to, you know, one of the other questions I had in here, um, which, you know, doesn't lead back to it per se, but it, it's very interesting to kind of look at all of we these. We want to different... talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but one of the things I think a lot of people get through with a lot of this information and one comment kind of before I jump into this next topic is a lot of t a lot of times we people might think, how do, how do I trust audiences, right? How do I trust the sense that they know kind of like what people in these groups really want or don't want? Now, although you can do- I have do the best story for you, actually. Go ahead. The best yeah. on, on, on audiences and why I, I actually am a big believer. So around two years ago, I bought, I bought our, our first home. Uh, my, my husband and I uh, took, the, took the move. Um, we, we stopped renting in Boston. We, we bought a house in Rhode Island. Um, and as I was looking for my house, um, I was getting ads for uh, home insurance. I was getting ads for, um, ironically enough, auto insurance because they were smart enough to know that to I change. was going out of the city in, into, into a place where we would now need a car. Um, but around a week after I had put in the offer um, and I had stopped looking at houses, um, all of a sudden those ads around home insurance stopped um, because... Google was smart enough to know that like, hey, you sh she hasn't been looking at homes anymore. Like she's, she seems like she's, she's kind of figured this out. So the sales cycles are actually geared by industry and you're dynamically added or removed based off of the real time behaviors that you, that you exhibit. Yeah, it's similar to that one story where Target, where the, the, the family found out that the wife was pregnant before they were supposed to even know about it because the ads yep. they were showing yep. and it was yep. like, you know, there's a, like a lot of that stuff. And the other one that always kind of struck me was, I don't know if you remember this, but a long time ago they did that study with Facebook where they were able to calculate that by the time you voted on 300 things on Facebook, they knew you better than your spouse. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was this whole basic uh, premise that, you know, it doesn't take these companies with the level of, you know, intelligence and the level, level of computing they have and the, the level of data they have, it really doesn't take them long to really determine exactly what you're going to like and not going to like what you're going to do and not going to do. Um, so there, de there definitely is a lot of um, evidence and, and studies and, and a lot of um, examples of, of having faith in audiences. And, and just as I mentioned to you before the call and for anybody listening, I mean, pretty much everybody I talk to in the PPC space who is really, really deep into this, um, this specific area of marketing, they all really, really, really love audiences. So you don't get that kind of universal buy-in if there's not a reason for it. So definitely focusing on audiences is um, really important. Um, I did want to drive back to one thing um, that I, I think a lot of people um, deal with when it comes to paid search. And it's the question I deal with a lot is, are my keywords working? Like, cool. how do I, how do I know if they're working or not? How long, you know, the biggest one for me is how long do I wait before I determine that a keyword's not working, you know, I mean, and stuff like that. So I'd love to hear your take on, on keyword valuation and whether or not they're, you're determined whether they're working for you or not. So a couple of things, 
um, first and foremost, we have to ask ourselves, is our conversion tracking working? If our conversion tracking is working, conversions are almost always going to be the gold standard of whether or not a keyword is working. Um, the reason why I say almost always, sometimes conversions are tricky. Um, and sometimes there's a multi-step funnel that you can't perfectly, perfectly uh, protect against. Um, my, my favorite example of this is you have keywords converting like bananas, but then your sales team can't actually close the deal on those leads. So you're converting, like marketing is doing its job, but there, there's a disconnect in sales. So like that's, that, put, put that aside. Um, if you do not have conversions, um, the supplementary metrics I like to look to um, number one is actually, of all things, impression share. Um, and the reason why I like using impression share to assess if a keyword makes sense or not, first and foremost, I'm a pragmatist. Um, and I'm also lazy. I don't want to have to do more work than I, than I need to. And I want to make sure that what I go after, I am predisposed to win. Because uh, who, who doesn't like winning? Who doesn't winning? want to do that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so if a keyword concept is putting you in a place where you're losing a lot of your impression share to rank, meaning that you're either underbidding or you're, you've really, really just been struggling to get that volume behind it um, so that you, you end up getting uh, that nice quality score, which uh, for, for those that, that uh, follow my work, you know that I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of focusing on quality score, but like in, in this case, when you're, when you're assessing uh, and helping to diagnose a keyword, if it's working or not, um, looking at that volume piece, looking at, at the average cost per click that you're currently paying uh, versus uh, what that top abs that top of page and absolute top of page, do those numbers align? Um, could you fit at least 10 of those clicks in your day? Uh, because if not, you're banking on a better than 10% conversion rate, which is just not realistic. Um, so those, those are some of like, the, the supplementary cues. Um, in terms of how long to give a keyword, you have a two week learning period baked into any net new thing that you do when it comes to paid search. Um, paid anything really. Um, two weeks is, is, is fairly standard. Um, where that cycle gets longer or shorter uh, comes into how much you are willing to invest. Uh, so I, I'm a big believer of investing aggressively in the beginning that you then have enough data to make a decision that you could optimize quickly and efficiently later. So I might budget and bid maybe 10, 15%, even 20% more in the first month to two months of a campaign, and then roll that back as I'm working. Um, and the reason for that is twofold. The first reason is Google and Microsoft love data. Um, they genuinely need it in order to operate and, and optimize and, and allocate budget and serve your key, your ads work with your keywords in an efficient way. And if it's if you're depriving the system of data, you're making it actually harder for it to know that you are a, a reasonable advertiser and then and get those placements. Um, the second reason is if I invest early, I am going to get a plethora of queries, a plethora of auction prices and potential prospects that I can then audit and make decisions about, am I focusing in the right way? Whereas if I start off stingy in kind of those quote unquote testing budgets, which I hate by the way, um, it's almost always better to have a larger budget at the onset of a relationship that you get the buy-in that you're gonna pull back than to start off super small where you'll have no data. Cause then you can't assess anything. Like, 
what kind of meaningful decision will you make off of 100 pressions and two clicks? Um, you're not. So it's it's better to invest aggressive in the first month, two months, but then know that you're going to pull back and audit those queries. So if you were going to say like what, you know, some people that are listening and some people that we, I've worked with, they're really you know, not sure about the budget, right? And so they might say, I only want to invest 500 bucks this month, or I only want to invest a thousand bucks this month. Is there, a, 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 in your experience, a kind of a, a real baseline that you need to be willing to budget, you know, to kind of get into this? Sure. So different channels have different minimums um, and different industries will play into it as well. Um, I go back to the 10X, your most expensive cost per click um, in, in your campaign at minimum, if you you should be able to afford 10 clicks in your day. Um, so if you are going after keywords that are $15, at minimum you should be budgeting 150 per day. If you're going after keywords that are 50 cents, then a $5 click is, is fine, or a $5 budget is fine. Um, what we wanna be careful of though is if you're held accountable for volume um, and you set a budget that's more aligned with a super granular mechanical um, approach where like I'm going after the quality leads, you're going to always be in a bad place because there's, there's certain volume gains that can only be had if you're willing to invest aggressively, um, particularly because paid search at the end of the day of all of the different channels is the salesperson. Um, its job is to target folks who are actively searching for what you do. Now, with that said, all is not lost. Um, I'll give a shout out to Microsoft. Um, average cost per clicks there are 45% cheaper uh, than on Google. They have almost 40% market share in the US. Um, with their uh, Verizon partnership, they, they have a, a really prominent search partner network. So like, there's a lot of good there. Um, but I would also encourage folks to look at display. I would encourage folks to look um, at Facebook. I would encourage folks to look uh, at, at even YouTube. Um, because if you don't have the budget for search, you can do a blitz campaign leveraging those audiences, uh, targeting those those intents, basically paying for someone else to pay for them to do that searching work that you then blitz and then have a remarketing audience or tagging them and putting it on a branded campaign um, so that you basically are paying for people when they're ready to go and they, they heard of you, but they, they couldn't quite remember uh, exactly who or if they did remember, you want to send them to exactly the right spot. Uh, and you're able to leverage search in the most transactional mindset as opposed to maybe the volume play or, or that first action. It's really interesting. One of the ones you didn't mention, and I'm curious you to just kind of touch on, would be like Instagram. I've seen, I've actually, here's the funniest thing I was telling somebody the other day. I never buy based on ads, ever. But I have bought five products from Instagram based on ads. Like those little quick 30 second videos that show me like, oh, here's a light bulb that looks like it's fire when it burns. I'm like, oh, I, I want to look. I want to see what it looks like. So little gadgets and little things that would be like perfect for me. I've actually bought quite a few through Instagram uh, over so the this last is, year. This is me being a really terrible corporate stooge. I, I just lump Facebook and Instagram together because they're, they're the same company. But yes, the, the marketing message should be different. The channel is different. Instagram absolutely is fire when it comes to um, like in the moment sales and just like stealing those. But it's also important to remember that 
what we're talking about is maybe an e-commerce spend as opposed to say a service spend. Sure, for sure, for um, sure, yeah. So yes, there's there's a place for all of all of these. It, it, it comes down to what are you looking to achieve? What is your customer worth? And what is the realistic timeline for, for your sales process? So if, if you come back to that and, and you see, hey, I don't make enough money to justify budgeting what I need to budget based off of how competitive these, these keyword concepts are, bid on a variant, try, try doing that. But if, if that really truly doesn't work, maybe consider a blitzing uh, plan that you then pivot back into branded. Because at the end of the day, search keywords are expensive, not because Google loves money. They're expensive because people are bidding. People are bidding. There's transactional intent. People are making money off of it, so they're going to keep bidding. If you cannot afford that market, be clever. Like, what, what do you mean by a blitz? Other... What do you mean by a blitz campaign? So display has the uncanny ability um, when you're cle when, when you're clever um, and you exclude the, the, the placements that don't make sense. Um, uh, Kirk Williams actually has an amazing tip uh, on on how to. Uh, get rid of games. I'll, I'll I'll send it to you so you can include it with with the uh, with the post. Um, and you target people who are in market for what you do. Uh, my favorite actually is there's an in market for uh, marketing services. So an agency could use a display placement, target people in their location uh, that are in market for what's normally really expensive keywords. Um, marketing keywords for whatever reason we're we're terrible to ourselves are really expensive. Um, and you can have a display ca campaign following these businesses around. You get them for 20 cents, 30 cents, as opposed to $6, $7 a click. That's awesome. That's amazing. And that's, that's one of the things that's always been tough for me with, uh, with display is that, you know, I, I've never really found it easy to identify the sites that you can advertise on. Uh, is it has it have the tools gotten better in, in in some of the providers or is it still pretty yeah. much? Uh... So the the placement report will show you um, where you're serving. Um, you can filter by was it a, mo a mobile app or or was it a, a normal site? Um, you can set goals uh, with display uh, around volume around conversions. Uh, there's actually. Um, a smart the smart display campaigns are, are both a blessing and a curse they're a blessing because you tell google how much you want to pay um for per lead and they will just do that the downside is um you have almost no control over that campaign so if you're getting bad leads off of it well there's nothing that they can really do about it because you told them to uh, drive leads at a certain cost, they're going to do that. They're not going to yeah. look for value. So right. it's and with with any of these channels, it's it's incredibly important, and this is very true for keywords, but it's it's true for really all of paid. Whatever you ask the network to do, it's going to do. So if you're asking it to bring you volume, like bring me all the conversions you can, you cannot hold it accountable for the cost of the individual conversions or for the CPA. Um, if your goal is return on ad spend, unequivocally, you don't want to be chasing volume because it's going to bring you 
lots and lots of conversions, but maybe only a fraction of them come in at a, pro- at a positive ROAS or a positive return on ad spend. So it's with anything, and I realize this is not keyword theory anymore. This is just bidding <laughs> and, and like fine. general paid paid theory. But like that's that's at the heart of, of what gets a lot of people in trouble is that they try to make their search campaigns be a volume play when they really should have orchestrated it to be um, a surgical salesperson. Or they'll try to get their display campaign to be this perfect converter when the display platform is really best suited for the volume play that maybe they couldn't get through search. Very interesting. Very interesting. I agree completely. Um, pulling it back actually to a little bit more of keyword theory. One of the things that comes up quite a bit, and I'm sure you get this as well, um, is the interest in bidding for branded terms and competitor terms. Um, can you touch on when, how, where you would do that and, and so, what to consider? So I'm a, I, I'm a firm pro-branded, pro-competitor all the way. Um, for for those of you that are Star Wars fans, I'm absolutely a Sith PPC. Um, but when it comes to branded and the mechanics of branded, um, the reason, the business case that you do a branded campaign specifically are that you, A, want to make sure you can direct the user to exactly where you want them to go that is the most profitable for you as opposed to just what you rank for. The second is you want to be able to control the messaging of your branded search result page. Paid placements will always serve above organic. Sorry. Um, Not sorry. (laughs) That That ad is going to be there. You don't want your competitor serving above it. You also want to be mindful that branded campaigns, this goes back to general keyword theory. um, Branded keywords have a nasty habit of stealing uh, non-branded traffic. Because if you're bidding, say, for example, um, teeth whitening on modified broad or even phrase, um, crest teeth whitening would absolutely be a valid query um, and would probably come in far cheaper than just generic teeth whitening um, because branded clicks tend to be cheaper. So you want to make sure that you can protect those metrics, have it live in a campaign to the side where the branded term is a negative everywhere else. So your non-branded queries can do the job that they need to do without having their budget siphoned off into branded queries. Um, The final reason I actually like doing branded is because when you have a campaign that has the powerful, beautiful metrics of branded, it actually can lift the overall performance and trust that Google, um, and to be fair, uh, Bing and Microsoft as well, um, have in your other campaigns. So if you've been struggling with like, man, I am I am not able to afford any of these keyword concepts or um, man, like I, I am struggling to, to get like anything to rank having that branded campaign can can really, really help. And you don't have to give it a ton of budget. Like you can give it five, ten dollars a day um, if maybe your other campaigns are 30 or 40. Um, but it is important that it, that it lives there to protect um, both your brand, your search result page and the, the general service campaigns on competitors. The reason that you you want to have a competitor campaign is is ironically enough for a similar but inverted reason as branded those metrics tend to be a lot worse than your general service. Um, and so you want to make sure that those aren't artificially bringing down um, your, your general service campaigns. Interesting. You also want to make sure that you can uh, have your competitor uh point of differentiation messaging targeted to each competitor. So you're not going to go after everybody, um, but it is important that those maybe five to seven top competitors, they each get their own ad group, keywords oriented around them, 
ads oriented around them. You do not put them uh, the branded competitor term in the ad because that would be a trademark violation. Mm -hmm. But you absolutely can bid on their terms, have the ad serve, and depending on where you're located, I know um, in the UK you, you can't do this, but in, in the US you absolutely can. Um, you put the competitor and why you're better than they are on, on, your, on the landing page. And again, the reason why you're doing this is you're protecting your general service campaign from those competitor queries that maybe won't have as nice metrics. And you're also able to snipe folks um, where the, the Sith in me comes out and that you're driving up your competitor's costs. But like, that's not the real reason you do it, that's icing. You're, you're doing it to protect your general service um, and to have those really specific points of differentiation in your creative. Beautiful. Well, I think, you know, this is great information. Uh, there's a lot of angles to the way you approach it that I haven't actually heard before, which I find very, very interesting uh, and very, very quality, right? It really focused on the campaign and not so many that, you know, combining the tactics with the overall marketing uh, strategy and not necessarily just the tactics, which I think is really important for people to hear and, and kind of implement into their, their marketing going forward. People want to find you, Nava. They want to read your blog blog, they want to find you online, they want to connect with you, how can people find you and connect with you? A number of different ways. Uh, if, if I do uh, sometimes speak on the conference circuit, I'll be at uh, PubCon, Advanced Search Summit, State of Search. So if, if you're there, come say hi. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at NavaF. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Nava Hopkins. Uh, feel free to follow the WordStream blog. Uh, I, along with many other uh, folks, are, are contributors there. Um, done a couple of uh, posts on SCJ, uh, which uh, I'll be sending you mine on keyword theory so that you can have it to go along with this post. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to, to keep the conversation going and empower all of you to profit and happiness. Awesome. Thank you, Nava. Thanks for joining the show and thanks for all the information. Thanks for having me. Cheers. So I want to talk a moment about Optio, who's our sponsor for the podcast. Optio helps Google ad managers automate time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on high-level strategy and creative work. Optio analyzes your Google ads performance and suggests new ways you can optimize the account. It helps you stay on top of bids, budgets, keyword management, and ad testing, and it also sends you email alerts if there are any sudden changes in your cost, impressions, clicks, and conversions all of which will help you a ton. Right now, Optio is offering a special six-week trial for all of you, our listeners. Just go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash S-E-J to get started. Thanks.